Episode 44, Done and Dusted, Dr. Billy Garvey. What are people going to learn about this week in our reflection episode on language development coupled with dirty dancing? Yeah, so some deeper dives into different age groups about how we can best support language development, look at some of the research there and practical strategies. Um, Great questions coming in about how to best respond to swearing. Get both of our perspectives on that. I did give my perspective and I gave my two cents. Well, yes, they, and they were great. And I think that they complemented what we uh, we both talked about, our different moves for that. Um, and then we talked about some things like selective mutism, some other kind of more specific things that are going on and how we can really make sure that we're, you know, supporting our kids in this We've also got some interesting and controversial poll data back from the people this <laughs> week, which... Um, Look, I've got to say, I disagree with one of the uh, majority of some of the votes, but that's all right. It's, well, a, it's, it's a democracy, so that's right. Billy. Wrong. I don't hide. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hide about the numbers. Uh, we do talk about numbers now. I do a little bit of mathematical magicianry <laughs> work, and you're worried about my confidence, but I think it's just fine. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Enjoy the episode, guys. Again, we love it when you throw us a rating, so a little five star, cheeky five star on Spotify or a. Know, three word rating on um, uh, Apple Podcasts, hugely appreciated. So, thanks very much, guys. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, I'm Billy, a developmental pediatrician, and I'm Nick, a developing parent. We're going to use scenes from iconic movies to talk about how we best support our kids. This is Pop Culture Parenting. Hey, don't let your mother smell that beer on your breath, she'll take it out on me. Daddy, and what does it do? Just use your best judgment. We trust you. Good afternoon, Dr. Billy G. <laughs> <laughs> the only person, probably the only time in a week I get called doctor. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. Why is that? I guess I work with kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> kids actually gave me the name Billy. So really? it was my time in childcare, yeah. What were you? William when I was in trouble or Bill? Bill. For a bit growing up. But then, yeah, as teenage years, I started working in childcare and um, kids would just call me Billy. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then, yeah, partner at the time would call me Billy and I've just, yeah, but not not often doctor. Really? So, no. I always call you Dr. Billy. A bit of a non-hierarchical... <laughs> anyway, <laughs> episode... It's all right. You can edit out my... <laughs> <laughs> they can't hear your eye roll. They can't hear eye rolls. <laughs> um, episode 44, yes. This is a reflection episode. Yes. It is about language development. We had a lot of feedback this week. We always yeah. get a lot of feedback for part two, so it's very exciting. Yes, we very much appreciate people taking the time to send in questions and answer the polls. Yes, you're a little late navigating me well, aren't you? Look at me. Yes. So we're Sorry. Gonna, we had some poll results, so... These were the questions we run on Instagram. We love it when you answer them. <clears throat> Over 60% of people said they didn't have the moves to lift their child's language development. Mm. Didn't feel confident with that. Yeah, a lot of this stuff you don't get given a textbook when the kid's born, do you? It says this is how to do this stuff. No, nope, you just sort of talk and navigate and hopefully it all mm. rolls out. So I think we can do a bit better than that. Yes. So, yes. Um, so no, but it, it is It's a challenge and we'll go a bit deeper on some of that stuff today. Yep. 75% of people said dirty dancing slash social skills 
tough for them as a kid. Mm. So Do you relate to that? Uh, n- no, pretty no, good. I was pretty social. Big yeah. family. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Big family and all the families. Yeah, a lot of older us. siblings as well. Yeah, four older siblings, mum and dad. But then like all the families around us were big families, so they were big social situations. Mm. Wasn't a lot of time, wasn't a lot of time alone. So Yeah, and can be beneficial, throwback to the twins episode. It's one of the benefits of having older siblings is that kind of support that you get in your social and emotional development from those peers if they're functioning well. Yep. And the final poll result, which <laughs> shows that I'm right. Well, it's very leading after a week <laughs> of it. Dirty Dancing beat Greece 57 to 43. I tell you what, mate, wait till we drop Greece. We'll do that. We'll ask the same question and we'll see. What I'll do you reckon will happen? That, tell you what, for a film, we don't mention Greece much, but it's nearly better <laughs> after a week of promotion of Dirty Dancing. Yeah, we'll see. I've got faith that our listeners have good taste, so I think Dirty Dancing will remain on top. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Right, we'll see. We'll spend some time in Greece. I yeah. don't know if we're going to get to it this year, but I promise we'll eventually do Greece. <laughs> I mean, he's, 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 he's signed me up for 15 years. <laughs> he told me. It was 15 years. I was like, all right. The well, that puts are, Freddie at 19. So, Yeah, it puts Ronnie at 17. She'll be right by then. Hmm. And then, yeah. Oh, God, I'll be cold out here. He doesn't make it warm. Anyway, you're warm in warm in greeting. <laughs> Cold in temperature. And then there was was there a final? No, no, no. There's a final question that we'll get to later. Oh yes, which yeah. is a great question. Yeah, we'll do that at the end. Yes. Um, <clears throat> we have I think seven questions this week, which we're gonna which we've distilled. Um, so thanks for everyone that contributed via Pop Culture Parenting on Instagram or via our Gmail account, which was Pop Culture Parenting at Gmail. Consolidated these ones this week, Billy, and mm-hmm. we're going to rip through them. Not too quick, but there's some good background from some of these questions. Question one, a lot of people asked us about how to support language development in either younger kids or older kids. Can we chat about both of them? Yeah, I think we did a bit of a focus on little babies last mm. time because it's this early stage and I think the point was kind of like they, they come out ready for engagement and learn language development. Well, actually, before that, Bill, it's 26 weeks that they start learning <laughs> mother's voice, yes. which I and listeners were blown away by. We yeah, had a few yeah. people uh, comment about that. That was amazing. Yeah, it's really cool to think about that, oh, isn't it? Incredible. Did you see there was one person who quoted that they're a teacher? Did you catch that comment? Yeah, and uh, that their kid. There's like there's a real there's a kid that just talks a lot in class. And I said to him, you know, while she was going through teaching and being pregnant, she's like, "You're going to have to come and put this baby to sleep because it's going to know your, <laughs> your voice. voice better than mine." <laughs> that was such a great comment. That was me as a kid. Yeah, really. Just oh, in class. Shut up. Yeah. Anyway, and um. Yeah, so I think it is good to break it up into the two. And yep. when if we think about it as kind of like the early preschool years and some primary school stuff and then late primary school adolescence and adulthood as the two different types. Mm-hmm. We start off with the kind of preschool, they're really um, important years. So we know that kind of we've talked about that kind of first few months, but the you know from six months to three, four years of age are just really amazing years for cognitive development around language. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Like a lot of the brain architecture stuff shows that we're kind of born with heaps of connections and what we actually do to build skills 
from a brain development perspective is by pruning. So we reinforce the pathways that happen and we prune off a lot of the stuff that we don't need. Oh. That's an interesting way for an avid gardener like yourself I am an to avid think, gardener. think about. But, so what we're trying to do is really reinforce those, you know, neural pathways in kids' brains around language. And it's mm. really interesting. There's a really famous study from the 90s um, called the 30 million word gap. Oh, yes. Yeah, so I think you've seen me talk on this. And there is some criticism of this research, and I think it is deserving of it, but I think there's still some valuable stuff you can get out of it. And what they essentially did is this research team went into homes and they looked at it from a socioeconomic status standpoint and yep. saw this huge difference in families that were kind of had a lot of resources versus families that didn't. And what they found was that by the age of three, the families that were from well-resourced, kind of wealthy families, those kids had heard 30 million more words. From a person, from a human? Yeah, in their environment. And we know, like, especially from kind of six to nine months on, hearing language is a really important thing um, for kids in those first few crucial years. And I think what it shows us is that there's lots of reasons why a lot of parents would be struggling with that because, you know, it's a single parent, it's a parent who's working a lot, it's a parent who's, you know, got heaps of kids that they're managing on their own or they're dealing with their own kind of mental health stuff. And I don't know about you, when I'm having a tough day, I definitely talk less to Evie because I'm just ruminating and, you know, stressed and all those type of things where I've slept well and things are going well, it's much easier to engage with her. The other thing is that kind of another research team 20 years later went back into that environment like from a perspective of, you know, what's the not just the number of words these kids hear in terms of like there's 30 million more words that they hear, but what's the actual language like? Now, the well-resourced families, really interestingly, there's a few different components that were different about what those kids were hearing. For example, they ask a lot more questions of kids and that's a really important part of language development is it's not just, as we said, reading the book and say Billy took Spot for a walk. We talked about kind of Stopping. why is Billy doing that, is Billy enjoying it, but also asking kids about their own experience and when, when kids are quite young, it's really important that they get an opportunity to frame their own thoughts and things like that and say mm. you'd be doing this probably pretty basically with Ronnie who's two, but I'm sure with Freddie you have deeper conversations where you ask questions and what that gives her the opportunity is you're actually handing her the lead in Dirty Dancing. Mm -hmm. You're saying, open question, I'm going to ask you, Fred, you know, what's going on? How are you feeling? What did you think about that thing that just happened? What would you like to do today? Yep. And then she leads, you know, and you give her the opportunity and you respond to her. It's a really amazing opportunity to build some really early conversational skills in kids the other thing is that the high SES families were much more likely to have affirmation statements versus prohibition statements. So that's amazing that you're doing that specific thing as opposed to stop doing that thing. Yep. I think that shows us another important part of rich language development is reinforcing the stuff that we see that's good because no or stop doing that doesn't really help that much with the kind of pruning process that we think about. So it's really fascinating stuff and it just showed the big impact that had on the vocabulary that these kids acquire in the first few years. So they hit primary school and they've just got a bigger range of words that they can use and ways that they can interact verbally and non-verbally with their peers and with other adults. So it's a really cool way to think about kind of what we can do and I think that's the most important thing that you can do with the younger kids is just have fun with them, like let them lead you in that dance, see where they're going, interact with them, listen to them. 
you know, the funny thing, we do lots of things and you do this and so do I where we overemphasize gestures and expressions. We try and make sure we're really clear in what we say, but we can fall down a bit in that. And classic case with younger kids is where they don't understand something and you just repeat it and it's like they probably actually haven't understood it saying it the same thing again three times isn't really going to help. But we stupidly do that because we're like, I said, do this. I said, put that down. And it's like, I think the kid heard it. I think the child heard that thing. But I've actually got to adapt the way that I'm trying to communicate and use different language to express it if it's not working as opposed to just saying it again. And that's an easy thing to say, a really hard thing to do when you're like, just get in the car. We're 10 minutes late. But, you know, thinking about, cool, Freddie's not getting in the car. Why is this not working? And probably elevating my voice or just saying it another 10 times isn't going to help. Maybe I've got to deliver it in a different way. Yeah, You've got me reflecting on yesterday morning uh, where I didn't do that so well. So it's totally fine to not do it perfectly no. all the time, but just look at different opportunities and go, yeah, that's not working, just yelling, you know, and things like that. So it's a good example of how we engage and actually use with information that we're getting from a young child, a toddler or a preschooler, and say, I've got to adapt. Yeah. Because they watch us do that as well and they go, cool. He's noticed that, you know, getting upset's not helping. He's actually explained it to me in a different way and I've understood that's why you want me to get in the car because there's this really exciting thing and you don't want me to miss out on the start of it because that's happening. Yeah, I tried that as well. <laughs> I tried everything. I gave it 10 minutes and then I, yeah, lost my, I was like, I think we should just get in the car. Yeah, totally, which is fine. It's just that it's probably not going to give her the acquisition oh, of like didn't. the success, but that's fine because what it shows us is that about 60% of the time if you can nail this stuff, these kids will pick it up and kind of go, yeah, sweet, cool. Now next time it's more likely to be successful when I say get in the car. And for the older kids? So, yeah, the older kids are really interesting. So the older kids are um, – I think a lot of people will go, ah, oh, cool, they just – they've learned how to talk and, you know, yeah, so have what a conversation is with mates, so yeah. it's all done. Older kids are really interesting – from a few different perspectives. One of them is their oral language skills um, just really proliferate. They kind of acquire a greater understanding of things like the pragmatics, like how to use language, um, semantics, like different words can mean different things. But even simple conversational stuff, like teenagers very frequently will be very primitive in the way that they are a listener in a conversation. For example, they'll usually just say, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, I hear they start grunting at us. Yes, yeah, yeah. Mm. So that's a really good example of a really simplistic reinforcer of a conversation. Mm -hmm. So you just done it to me then. I keep going with the, what I'm saying because you went, uh-huh. Whereas what you often do on this podcast really well is you go to greater depth and you go, explain that to me because I didn't get this bit of it. And that gives us, takes us to a higher level of success in our conversation because I'm not just going, cool, getting simple affirmation, he's grunting. I'm getting cool. He wants me to focus on that bit. Or, and if we can do that with teenagers, it gives them the opportunity to get even better at their conversational skills. I, I saw this gorgeous um, kid uh, in late primary school uh, this week who has you know, neurodevelopmental stuff going on. Gorgeous kid with her mum. And she's really struggling socially. So she's really likeable, like shouldn't have favourites but favourite kid that I've met in weeks and weeks and weeks because she's really instantly likeable. She's just mm. one of those kids that you're like, man, I just want to hang out with this kid mm. and spend time with them. They're warm and kind and funny and all that stuff. 
she's really hitting a wall because when she's socialising, dirty dancing, so outside of the classroom, she's really struggling to not be really rigid in the rules. So she's like telling kids they stepped out of place or they did the wrong thing or whatever or is, is really struggling to understand the perspective of the other kid. Our mum was telling me about it in pretty simple language and uh, this kid goes, I know how to compromise. And <gasps> I was like, wow, Whoa. blown away that you've pulled that out of that. But it was such a beautiful demonstration of just because she has a high level of articulation around that exact thing, she can hear people talking about it and go, you're talking about compromising. She can't do it. And what the current therapists and educators who are doing an amazing job trying to support her are saying, look, when the social situation goes wrong, just leave, just back out and say you've got to go before the conflict happens. But mum's saying it's happening so much that she never actually engages with kids anymore more than a couple of minutes because the rule stuff comes in or the not understanding it, their turn or whatever. So it's a good example of we've got to actually give her those skills and we can't say she knows how to do it because she just said, I know how to compromise. She's showing us the specific thing that she isn't able to do and so what we need to do is support her in that. And as that ability becomes higher, the higher need socially to be at the same level as your peers, it is really important that we catch those kids that are falling behind and go, cool, you actually need help in understanding flexibility of of language around certain social situations. And Kids go through this phase, like Freddie's probably coming out of it now where Freddie probably talks to people the same way. She's met them for the first time and she goes, hi, this is a drawing I did and tells them about it. Yeah. And she would probably tell you about the drawing in the same way. She'd probably just feel more comfortable or whatever. But in the next couple of years, what Freddie's going to learn is I've just met this person, so I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to have a, you know, a simpler explanation, whereas... I've got all these things, these shortcuts that I can do with dad because I don't have to explain every step to him. So what would you say like, do you like drawing? Because I just did this drawing. Perfect example. So yes, she will understand that I need to frame this relationship up first. I need to understand like where are you interested in this first? Whereas a kid who's younger will just take you to drawing and put it in your face (sighs) and be like, I don't understand that I need to get a reference point of what you think about drawing first. She used to do this all the time where she'd be like in the street, a kid would come up and they'd be like five and she'd be three and she'd just go, I've got a bunny. Like everyone would be talking and she didn't know how to contribute. And she's like, I have bunny. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh. So that's awesome because she's got a high level of language and she's interested yeah. and she's trying to interact. But yes, now what she's learning is that I need these intricacies of social engagement that I need to understand mm. and kids who struggle with that you can see them mm. where they're still doing that they walk into a group and go I have a bunny <laughs> they can't yeah. hold and go hang on let me listen to what they're talking about oh cool they're, they're talking about you know bluey mm. now I'm going to wait for a spot I'm going to wait for a pause and have a hook do kids get <clears throat> is this kind of so obviously this is like kind of like this awareness thing right this thing of like um, I'm going to sort of make my way into the conversation slowly when that does that take a long time to develop yeah definitely i I don't know about you like i think back to like 10 years ago and i think i'm better in a social situation now than i was 10 years ago in my 20s you know Mm. because i've you know there's a lots of elements to that i think i've got a greater understanding of sensitivities around Mm. how people are thinking so because i know you I can, I can see you walk into my house 
And just off the way you walk in and look, I can tell how you're going. Mm. Now, I will use that to modify my language and communication with you. You come in pumped, I'm pumped, we're on the same level. You come in and I go, God, he looks like he's had a tough morning. I will change the way that I talk to you before I've said a word and how I engage with you. That's a skill that you acquire to read that. Now, I can read it a little bit off someone I've never met. They can come in and I can go, they're open, they're happy and those things, so I'll talk to them a certain way or I can modify it. But with you, I've had the opportunity over years to develop this social relationship that operates at a much higher level but also a much simpler in terms of it, we can use less words to have a conversation and you know that. There'll be people you're really good mates with where you kind of don't even have to say half the words in a sentence because you just get it. Whereas you don't do that if you've just met someone, you wouldn't talk like that. Using slang is a perfect example of that. I would say mate a lot. I wouldn't say it with someone I've just met, especially if I was in a suit and they were in a suit and it was in a boardroom. Whereas if it's at the pub and someone says hi to me, I would use the word mate. Now that's a really important skill in language development that some kids who don't understand that difference, they can't clock hang on a second, I've got to modify this. And that can be from like playground to classroom, but it can also be social group to social group. You know, understand that I'm sitting in a social group now, Nick's not talking much, he usually talks heaps. Even though I'm actively having a conversation, I need to think about what's going on for him and modify how I engage in this social group accordingly. It's a really important bit and it's such a pro-social skill that that's actually the thing that makes kids likeable. Mm. it's not like oh, he's the tallest or she's the best looking or they've got the richest parents it's that person has good language development skills and they're quite in tune and we need to help kids learn that especially if they're struggling with it and teenage years is a classic period where kids will fall down with it and then they can be perceived as selfish when they're not really selfish they just don't have the understanding to pick up the subtle cues Especially non-verbal stuff. So you have conversations with them about it. When they come home and go like, Nick was really annoying today. Like he didn't even talk. And I asked him a couple of questions and he just like grunted at me. And I'm so sick of Nick. And then you go, oh, what was he like? He just like, he didn't really look anyone in the eyes. I could tell he was like really tense. And he looked like he was really tired. And you go, I wonder why that is. You know, what do you reckon is going on? Why would he look like that? Why do you reckon he's not looking people in the eyes? You know, and then have a conversation about it and explore it with them. You don't kind of talk at them about it. You talk with them about it and say what's going on. And that what you're looking for is you're like, where is he stuck? Where Where is Freddie finding this challenging? You know, well, she comes home and from preschool and says, this other kid was really mean to me. And it's like, what was going on? You know, what was the kid doing? Was there earlier signs that probably you shouldn't have gone over and interacted with him? And you don't talk about it like that. You think about it like that. But what you're asking is those things. And then like we've always said, the thing that you do really well, which I've got to get better at, is being there with Evie when she's in social situations so I can observe and say that. So it's a really important bit of it. There's like a lot of people are amazing at like the language that they use around kids, but there's also you've got to be kind of a bit a, a bit more specific in how we think about how kids are going and where they're struggling and there is a big overlap between language development and social relationships. You know, it's a really important bit. So the younger kids, a lot of it is about opportunities and just giving them, an, you know, a chance to hear lots of different language and that's what we've talked about, you know. 
also like parallel talking is a good example of that. Like even just I find this hard to do even though I know the literature. But when I'm doing stuff, talk about what I'm doing out loud so if you can hear it, you know. I'm making you a sandwich and this is the peanut butter and I'm going to put it all over here and it's going to be so yum. What she's learning is the narrative around that and gives an opportunity for language. But there's heaps of times where I'm like, oh man, I don't have any me, I'm just going to make the sandwich. Yeah. You know, which is fine. But just in times doing that kind of parallel talking is great for younger kids. But as kids get older, we move away from that and we go into what are especially the nonverbal things, what's an understanding of gesture, what's sarcasm, what's all those things. And you will find some kids really can't understand metaphors, you know, and that you, you they might hear you go, oh, yeah, Billy's got cold feet about that thing. And Freddie now would go, why does he have cold feet? It's really warm. And you would go... I know it's just a saying, but as they hear that more and understand the context of it, they'll get better at interpreting it. But some kids will always struggle at those kind of intricacies of language if we don't help them and pick it out. Yeah, right. God, I'm so much more conscious of it. Yeah, it was just observing how they're going. But there's, there's so much stuff to do on this that it would probably be a future thing where we look a bit deeper at some of those elements because especially teenage years, um, you, we can really go into that a lot more. Mm. I'm interested about this next question. Because mm. I have wondered about this. Give it to me. Dummies and pacifiers, do they have an impact on language development? Yeah, it's a really good question. So there are advantages and disadvantages of, of pacifiers and dummies. I don't know what were the girls like. <laughs> I know the advantages. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> if they're crying. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, oh, mate. No, they weren't into them. Now my daughter, who's two and a half starts using one occasionally i'm like i'm like i, don't, I pick my battles i'm like yeah, fine. yeah they didn't they didn't use them as kids sorry is my point they, as babies they that wasn't their go-to yeah so there's a couple of different things with dummies so yeah there's a, obviously a lot of advantages in soothing there is a sometimes it's challenging in kids that can't get the dummy back so if you soothe them at night they fall asleep with the dummy in their mouth screaming you've got to go and find it for them and put it back in um so that can be challenging also it's a good if you're struggling a little bit to establish attachment either um so dummies are kind of called non-nutritive sucking um yep. so you're not getting nutrition out of it and sometimes that can impede nutritive sucking so bottle feeding or breastfeeding so trying to establish that first before you bring a dummy in yep can be helpful but not essential um there is some concerns around language development, but the main link is there is a slight increased chance of getting ear infections if you use dummies a lot. Really? And, yeah, we'll talk to it in another question, but conductive sure. hearing loss is one of the main causes. What's of, conductive hearing loss? Well, I promise we'll get to that. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, so that's <laughs> that's like ear infections and they are slightly increased with kids who use dummies lots. There is a dentition element of kids who use dummies a lot beyond kind of the first few years of life. Mm. That just the way that it forms, their teeth form can be a little bit different. And mm. there is a little bit of concern around the architecture of their mouth outside of their teeth that can change how good they are at making sounds, but it's pretty small stuff. The only thing that's a bit of a caveat on the language development is there are some kids who will spend a lot of time awake during the day with a dummy in their mouth. And that's, it's really important that we watch those kids in terms of their language development, mainly in terms of their expression, so how much they talk. 
because they will – there's lots of kids, I don't know if you've seen these, but they're dummies all day and they just pull the dummy out and say the one word and then put it back in. I haven't seen it. And that's yeah. the only time the dummy will come out where they are pressed, yeah, okay. really pressed to say something. But those kids benefit so much from the soothing element of the dummy that they'll lean more towards nonverbal forms of communication. So you've just got to make sure that those kids are on track yeah. with their language development. Gotcha. And then think about like four – five years of age being the time to start backing out mm. with it but replacing it with something else mm. that helps them, especially if they're really distressed and it's their main soothing method. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good question though. It's a good specific question. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just wondered it. I, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever put too much thought into it, but it is an interesting one. If they've got the dummy in, like, how can they be talking as much? But yeah, but there's heaps of kids that use dummies a lot and have they just thrive in their development with their language. Yeah. So I lived on a bottle of Ribena for a really long time. Yeah, well we grew up in the years where juice was like a healthy thing that you had to drink and now it's like a treat. Now it's a treat. <laughs> Don't drink your calories. That's what I was told recently. Don't drink really? your calories. I'm like, fair enough. I eat enough of them. Hi, team. Loved the podcast this week. Super interesting. I have a very specific language-related question. How to deal with swearing. Mm. I've been super passionate about language development with my three little people. Read heaps to them, try to make sure they've been exposed to language from an early age and often. They're all very articulate now, three, nearly five and seven. But by ne- but my nearly five-year-old started coming out with some very colourful language. We've tried hard to ignore it but it's tricky when it gets a big reaction at kinder with others. And I'm finding it hard to know the way to approach it. Like many parenting strategies, I'm hoping the good role modelling and exposure to other language options will prevail. But I'm wondering if, if you have any advice around how to teach what language is appropriate in what situations, or the consent that certain language won't be accepted in certain situations. I figured there would be likely other parents with similar challenges and would love the ideas that you have. (laughs) Keep up the awesome podcasting. I love listening to it and it sustains me on my commute each week. (laughs) I'm curious about this one because, yeah, yeah, sometimes they just drop one. Okay. I don't have the same one where the kid... Well, my daughter's doing it at kinder to get a reaction and therefore, and like the the, ki- the educators never said, hey, we've got to have a chat about that sail of mouth over there. Yeah. But when they say it occasionally, and I don't think they know, like especially if Henrietta's there, we just look at each other and we're frozen. We are like deers in headlights. Yeah. Like how are you meant to react? What can you do? Because it's like, mm. we I've got a method, but. Okay, do you want me to go? <laughs> so you to go maybe, maybe let the behavioural paediatrician field this one. <laughs> be quite funny. And then I'll come in after yeah. with mine. They're the opposite. We'll get all this feedback. They're like, Nick's was the actual better answer. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like, can we not have Nick respond? <laughs> Dr. Billy, what do you do? Yeah, so really swears? common and it's um, – I think the most important thing is that it's not a thing because – parents swear a lot around kids so we see heaps of kids that will be swearing that parents are like we are so strict we don't swear at all at home like kids get exposed to it either through yeah the social groups or media they consume and it's it's really hard to regulate that especially these days and they're powerful words that's the thing that's why they catch them there's even some evidence that it's quite therapeutic as an adult to swear 
it can be, yeah, there's some people that would argue that. And, yeah, I can relate to that. I can be times where I'm like, yeah, I'll have, you know, I'll get really upset and I'll have a fair bit of profanity in it. And then afterwards I'm like, cool, I just got that out. I've got to do it appropriately though. I drove forklifts for years and years and used to swear every second word because everyone in that group used to swear all the time. And it's a bit, not to go back to the previous question, but that's a really important later, you know, life childhood acquisition skill is it's not appropriate for me. So I swear almost nowhere else except for socially, but I work in a place where I can't and shouldn't swear. <laughs> no, but I'm very shouldn't. good at doing that. That's not a huge effort for me not to swear. But for young kids, there's multiple reasons why they do it. And kids from about two, three years of age will figure out that these words seem to have some power to them. The important bit that we do after we're not beating ourselves up and going, it's because I swore that one time. You know, I've ruined everything. They're not going to have any friends and, you know, they're destined for a troubled life is to give ourselves a break but then think about why they're doing it, which is what you did really well. You thought about that and you were like, well, this kid is doing it in daycare and everyone's getting a bit... yeah. You know, caught up in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or like you do when you and Henry freeze, like kids pick up the freeze. You know, you can. It's impossible to be a <laughs> robot and go. We will not respond at all to the fact that you've just sworn. So they they will do it sometimes without a big intention. They just do it and it gets caught, and then they go, "Wow, I said that word," and everyone stopped, or people got upset, or everyone reacted you also got to be careful about having a big expectation and that's why this mum is really good in thinking about this in how capable are they of actually understanding that it's inappropriate. And we can't, especially the younger kids, you can't be like, I've sat down and told you that it's not okay to say those words. And they're like, I don't understand that. I don't understand it hurts people or it's offensive or whatever it is. They just don't know that. They just know there's these group of sounds that they put together and when they do it, you know, if they accidentally say sit differently, everyone gets worked up, you know, and so that actually unintentionally reinforces them saying sit incorrectly because they go, when I say it like that, everyone jumps up and down. But there are some times where they're doing it because they're stressed or they're upset or they're annoyed at another kid and when they start using it for that, Ooh. that's a really good example of a time where we don't stop them from doing something, we give them something else to do instead and reinforce it. Gotcha. And you go, and obviously developmentally appropriate, you know, it's out of the three-year-old. When you get angry and swear, we'd actually much rather that you think about the other person and, you know what I mean? Gotcha. Like the kid's going to keep swearing. So you try and understand if you've got any capacity to understand this is inappropriate. And if there is an element of distress to it, think about what can I give you that is better? Even the kids who are just doing it for attention, like this parent's doing, you want to ignore it but give them, reinforce a different way. And it's, we all do this. If you say please, you say please and then you give them the thing and that's a reinforcer. The bit is if they're swearing, you try and ignore it and you say we've spoken about this. If you want my attention, this is how you do it. Or if you want help, this is how you do it. And oh, then I when like they do that. it, but when they do it without the swearing, then you go superstar. Like when Freddie changed Ronnie's nappy for you, you make a really <laughs> big deal of it. You're like, oh my God, you didn't swear first. You actually just came to me and said your sister's annoying you. That's amazing. Like and reinforce it. But it's just it's an important bit of it, like is that um the final bit on this picks, it's such a good question. I actually almost wanted to do a whole topic on this with the um old school thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like earmuffs. 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 Because that's not helping that kid. 
a kid's learning nothing about swearing because he's just not hearing the words. Sure. You know what I mean? So that's not an answer either because they're all kids are going to hear them. But consistency across environments is really important and that's what's probably not happening in this situation because the mum is like we're trying to ignore it, which is a really good strategy to give a good run at. But if everyone at daycare or you're co-parenting with another parent that has them on the weekends reacts differently, it's really hard for the kid to hard. figure it out because so they're hard. just like mum ignores it, dad blows up, the educator sent me to another room, what am I meant to do? Like, <laughs> so it's good to have a conversation and go, look, it's really awesome that you've told us this is going on. What we're actually trying to do is think what's happened before it. Are they stressed or are they just doing it for attention or something like that? If it's attention, we're trying to ignore or say, please come and tell me that without saying that word and, you know, whatever it is and then have consistency and then do it for a few weeks and see if the swearing is getting better. It is also, and I'm giving permission to this parent, to go, this is not high enough in the list of priorities. We're just not going to deal, you know, the swearing is not a big issue, especially if everything else is going well, the kid's got good friendships and all of that. But if you are kind of like, nah, this is impacting their social setting, they're using it a lot more than they were a couple of weeks ago, I've got to do something about it, that's the time to change it up. Mm. But those strategies and then consistency. Mm-hmm. What's your move? Wow. Mum's move, which I've adopted, probably because I swear a bit more than mum. Um so if one of the girls drops like an F-bomb, we got to this point. I think it was from a book. It's a good little tactic. Yeah. I, I agree with all of it. Being aware of all and understanding it's better than just going, well, let's apply Nick's tactic. Like your approach is better. Oh, give it to me. But we'd just be like, Henry does it where she goes, Freddie would be like, oh, you know, F this or something. <laughs> and you go, honey, I'm really sorry because you've probably heard daddy say that. <laughs> <laughs> You've probably up. heard daddy say that And that's not the right word So I'm sorry Because I have said that And you think it's then okay to say it Because that makes sense to you But the reality is You can't use that word It's not a good word to use mm. So we're going to try and be better Mummy and daddy We're going to try and be better with the, But it's on us to be better And you shouldn't just use that And if you hear us say that You can call it out Great, that's great, mate. That's yeah, that's a kid that is ready to understand why they shouldn't be doing it, and you're doing an element I didn't mention, which is role modeling. Yeah, but yeah, but you might swear more than this parent who sent it in, who <laughs> was saying they're very proactive in not doing that. But yeah, for parents oh, who yeah, are, yeah. which is not, not, no, not because that one. No, I'm no, the no. same. I'm the same. Like Evie's not there yet. Oh, like, but I, I don't even think it is mainly. It could be a kid at daycare. You know what I mean? It might have older brothers or sisters, and they're picking up off them. Like I, I that was me. Like, Siblings ten years older than me, so I'm fifteen hearing fifteen year old. I'm five hearing fifteen year old, so I repeat it. Yeah, all all that sort of stuff. But it's just more. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great because the other thing that you're doing, which is amazing, and I think we've done on the pod before, is we are all working on this together as a family. Yeah, all working on this together as a family. Mm. All be successful. I find it hard sometimes. I I find it hard to not say those things when I stub my toe Mm. in the middle of the night. Yeah, I will swear. Yeah, I shouldn't swear. Yeah. And some people will have, yeah, other words that they put in place for that kind of stuff. Hmm. I haven't found those yet. <laughs> I don't say like, fire truck. <laughs> I was once, this is very quick, I was once in the car with Annalise uh, early in the relationship and someone cut her off and I think she said something like, who's this goonie bird? <laughs> I was like, is it the 50s? 
Are you going to rumble? <laughs> so, it was very funny. Uh, moving along, uh, there were some questions about children struggling academically at school and the relation to this, uh, to our topic. Is there any link between language development and some part academic performances? Yeah, great question. So we're going to do a whole topic on learning difficulties because they need two, two um, yeah. sessions with us talking. But I, cool. I want to keep this in here because it is a good thing to recognise and think about. So all kids, you know, should be performing where they can optimally in their learning, like in terms mm-hmm. of their maths and reading and writing and all that stuff. And we talk more about the social and emotional stuff. Sure. And just because you're at expected level does not mean, sweet, Nick's awesome, Nick's doing great at school, he's at expected level for everything. If you're like, hang on a second, Nick's really into maths, he should be higher than that. Uh, Then you mm. think, what's going on? Especially if over time it's gotten worse. He used to perform above expected, but this year I've noticed he's getting everything at expected. Mm. worried that in the future, so you catch it then and go, he's dropped. There is definitely a language development component to kind of all of them, to be honest, all the kind of areas in terms of literacy and numeracy and all those things. But there is also an element of it that is separate to us. And what we talk about um, in specific learning difficulties, and you've probably heard of dyslexia. Yep. So that's a you know specific difficulty with kind of decoding elements of words and things like that. So their reading and writing and all those things struggle we need to be really careful that we don't just push those kids to try harder because a lot of those kids will always have a difficulty with that and that's where we modify. Okay. We modify what the expectations are. So we don't say, bad luck, just try harder to read and you know they're performing below where they should be. We modify. And there's most places, I know we get listeners from overseas, but most places will have pathways to figure out an assessment component for that. And in Australia, it's educational psychologists and they're amazing. We work closely with them. And thinking about what is it is the reason that that child is not where they should be in their numeracy or the literacy. And it can be a language development component. But if they're doing really well in everything else and they're just stuck there, you need to have a targeted strategy that you use um, in the classroom. But you use it for a period of time that's evidence-based and if things don't get better, it's often not the case of this kid just needs to try harder. It's like, cool, we actually need to change the way that we do assessments and teach this kid because they're always going to be a bit stuck like this. And we don't expect kids who need glasses and go, bad luck, mate, just squint and try harder to see the stuff. It's just a thing that they get stuck on and we need to modify it. So it's a when we do the whole talk, we'll... Um, out some resources and go really deep on it but it is an interesting overlap just like there's the social emotional overlap with language development there's also the kind of learning and the kind of more structured learning acquisition that happens through school and language development components to it yeah okay but it's just important to highlight there is a separate entity that has nothing to do with language development about kids that will struggle with certain elements of their learning that was really interesting i'd never thought about that Mm. because you obviously graded as you're graded but it could be like for Nick to get a B, that's about as good as Nick can currently do. He can try and get more juice out of the lemon, but it'll be really hard. So maybe reassessing where he's at. Never thought about it. Yeah, well, it's really interesting. It? Well, no, it's it's really interesting. So I've got pretty bad handwriting, which is obviously a funny joke because I'm a doctor, but I've always had bad handwriting and I could have done an hour of handwriting stuff after school every day, but I probably would have been miserable. Yeah. And how much of a difference point. has it made? So, yeah, how do you find that yeah. balance of like Billy's struggling to read but tutors can be phenomenal, but they've just got to know what they're doing. Like the tutors, the tutor who's like some, a mate from the footy club is probably not the best person because it is quite a specific skill. skill to have to be able to understand. 
net this is where educational psychologists are phenomenal they can break down simple things like maths and go there's 40 components to maths these are the two that nick struggles with and we're going to focus on him getting better at those two things so he knocks maths out of the park that would have been nice yeah, mate, you're great, great at maths. I'm good. I'm, no, I'm I'm sensational at arithmetic. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I I really am. Yeah, like I am really good at arithmetic. Mm. But uh, maths, it's your confidence, I'm worried about. <laughs> <laughs> no. Sorry. Yes, can, you are. You know, you I are can multiply anything times twelve. Did you know that? Really? Yeah. Wow. You can test it out. Listeners can do it. Can you give me a number. Pi times twelve. Well, that's three one four two. I mean, I can do three one four two times twelve. Okay. Do you want me to do it? Yeah. 37704. Oh, bang. There you go. Wow. That wasn't set up. That was three and four. Mate, what are you doing hanging out with a dunce like me? <laughs> <laughs> Listeners will get a buzz out of that. Press pause, just punch out in the calculator. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> no, that was live, mate. We've never stopped this recording once. No. <laughs> or done an edit. No. Uh, Billy, question five. Such a great episode. Thanks, Nick and Billy. I like the sequencing there. Uh, my gorgeous three-and-a-half-year-old orchid has been diagnosed with selective mutism, an anxiety disorder that prevents her speaking in some situations. She was a late talker and has quite significant issues with speech sounds, dyspraxia, mm. um, making her speech largely unintelligible to most outside the family. She has never spoken a word at childcare to staff or peers in two years of attending, although will speak to me in front of them. We're working with a speechy, but there has been no actual speech work yet as it has taken months of rapport building for her to even make a sound in front of the therapist. It sounds doom and gloom, but I'm heartened by the improvement of her speech in front of us and also her connection with other kids during one-on-one play dates. I do worry, however, that she is missing out on opportunities to practice her dirty dancing at childcare and the gap will become wider as they get older how can we support her if a child has had a oh, i'm not sure i'm sorry if a child has had a hearing problem do oh, they it's separate no. sorry yeah sorry it's okay how can this parent support it what i've never heard what a couple of things i've never heard of yeah what's dyspraxia and what's selective mutism yeah yeah so we'll we'll talk about that it's really interesting i just have to say before we go deeply on it bonus points for um giving us back the uh, Dirty Dancing reference. Yeah, Dirty Dancing <laughs> reference, amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, yeah, it's really interesting. So selective mutism, it's funny that a lot of people haven't heard of it because it's about 1% to 2% of kids and it's a really common right. thing on kids that struggle when they go into preschool. It's not shyness? No, great, great question. What's the difference between shyness? Shyness and selective mutism. Yeah. yeah. So there's a couple of things that are different about it. Um, shyness is usually a temperament thing that is not uh-huh. you know a disease or a disorder or pathology yep. it's um a temperament and some kids you know will be more shy in new environments but they'll get warm up and all that stuff selective mutism is a persistent difference in how much they speak in different environments so t- this is perfect this kid's a perfect example of it in that t- speaks at home but doesn't mm. speak at daycare yeah, it's really, really common. Yeah, um, right. 
some kids will do that when they start at places like that, that they don't talk much, especially the kids that are a bit different to our girls that haven't done a lot of daycare pre-verbal. So, yep. you know, it's a harder step to take because you're yep. like, well, there's 30 kids in this room. I'm usually just only around two. I'm not going to speak much. But then with time, they will. They'll show that they speak as much there pretty much as they do at home. Yep. The great thing this mum has identified, which is one of the – so we do – I do a lot of stuff specifically with schools going deep dives on certain topics and mm. selective mutism is one that educators will go, I need some moves to support these kids, mm. what's going on here? And it, the best thing that this parent has done is recognise that it's an anxiety thing. It's not a language kind of don't know the words thing. There is a link and this kid has in earlier life has shown with the dyspraxia that they had some problems with their language use in terms of how much they can talk and how well they talk and people understanding them and things like that. But now this child is likely, because they're bright and sensitive, which they often are, is actually quite articulate, but only with the safety of mum. So only at home, an environment they feel really comfortable with, they talk heaps. The moment they get out, they miss out on opportunities to dirty dance because yeah. they can't be talking with peers much. The um, It is important to build rapport and, you know, I'm sure the speech pathologist is doing a phenomenal job but recognising that um, it is an emotional difficulty that these kids have as opposed to an ability to speak and I'm sure that that therapist is well aware of that. The other thing is that... Um, there is, you know, we, we do need to get beyond the rapport building stage and give this child an opportunity to, to dirty dance. One way that this parent could do that is think about what are the steps between. So the last place this kid is going to speak as much as they do at home is in daycare without mum there with 20 other kids in the room. That's the last place. But there's probably 10 steps between yep. at home on their own and no parent there. 30 kids what what do you think well yeah they, they and they even flag that they go they're pretty good in one-to-one play mm. so it looks like they've gotten there yeah it's like what's the bit after one-to-one play so between 30 kids yeah so often that one-to-one play is the first step that'll happen and it'll be at home a kid the same age that they're really comfortable with or often like their siblings they'll talk with them so you go cool they're good with me they're getting really good with their siblings now i'm going to bring the friend they feel the most comfortable with into this home environment then i'm going to bring a couple of kids they feel comfortable with or we're going to all go to that house or we're going to go to a playground or we're going to really gently scale it up Mm. there is it's very unlikely that the step from they're really good with one kid over here and i'm going to next week i'm going to drop them off at daycare and they're going to walk in the door and just talk heaps so thinking about that gentle acquisition of like just a gentle stretch that's supportive and watch them and go, I mean, they've gone backwards now. They're like not speaking at all because it's four kids at a birthday party at someone else's house. Mm-hmm. That was too big a step. So I'm going to go back in between and go, we were nailing it at the playground with two or three kids. Let's just keep going there and then stretch again. And just any time watching feedback, of, you know, to riff on the language development stuff, they – Though kids will lead us in this, especially when they're struggling to watch and see that. And selective mutism, it's another one that we might go a bit deeper on because there's yeah. a really big understanding. Yeah. Also, there's a really big overlap with social anxiety and selective mutism. Yeah. So the difference is selective mutism is just that they're cool around other kids and they're fine with it and they'll use non-verbal cues and play with other kids and all that stuff. The social anxiety is they're really reluctant to engage at all with their peers. So that's the kind of very simplistic difference. But a lot of kids will have both. There's a big overlap. Okay. And so 
social anxiety is a different thing. And if that component is there, it's not just about how do we get you speaking, speaking more to other people. Yeah, it's how do yeah. we get you more comfortable and give you those social skills and all those things. Yep. We've got one last question here. How do I become Patrick Swayze? Yes. Now, I, I feel like most of the questions come to both of us, but this one I feel like came to just me. Uh, <laughs> I reckon I would know the better path there. We haven't decided who's doing the Photoshop yet. You're, <laughs> you are a better dancer. Thank I you. do have a martial arts background. <laughs> That's true. What did you do more of in Dirty Dancing? You do any uh, martial arts? He whacked up. He whacked that <laughs> Robbie. He punched Robbie up pretty good. Well, he said you're not worth it. Right at the end, he didn't. The scuffle uh, ended pretty quickly. I think after he whacked him a few <laughs> times, <laughs> didn't he? I admire Johnny Castle more for his dancing than his Look, way that he goes to physically resolving. All I'm saying is, you're focused on one film. I'm thinking Roadhouse. Hey, hey. I'm thinking Dalton. <laughs> Dalton, I thought you'd be taller. What about, is it, hey, God, I'm going to mess up the quote. What's the war child quote? War child, seriously, <laughs> let him go, man. <laughs> hey. We've got hey, a two-point break. How about, yeah, how about you fo- focus on somehow getting Roadhouse on this podcast? I will. So I, I can will. watch Roadhouse four times in a week. I will. No, I love I love Swayze. We gave a lot of, we'll God, have to give um, Gray some attention in a future movie because yep. she's amazing as well. I think sibling rivalry. Yes, Yes. We're going to go back to, and we should. Use we've been asked for that recently. A oh, bit, really? Actually, yeah, yeah. Sure. Rivalry. Yeah. Oh, no. oh, I just done a reveal. Whoops. No. No, no. We haven't gone back to a movie yet. No, but there's some great films worth going. I think we yeah. could do Parenthood each week. I know. Remember, we thought about that. We're we like, thought let's about just that. do a mini series on Parenthood. Just yeah. There's so many great examples. So much it? complexity. Mm. Um, there's some language stuff in it as well. Actually, with a really bright kid who's yeah. doing the flashcards. Flashcards. <laughs> <laughs> then can't convert it. That kid cannot do dance. No, no, no. Did not, could not play with her cousin. Uh, yeah, so a listener that's following our language now is doing quite well because we're, um, we're very casually as opposed to clearly bouncing off it, each mm. other. Yep. And it's a really good part that we didn't get to talk about. But uh, maybe a future language development episode sp- focusing specifically on teens, but hopefully that's been a good one. Yeah, and happy to go deeper. This is the thing with this. Um, we love when people ask us questions. It gives us direction on what the episodes are going to be. and We think that's really cool. But particularly in part two, we do love it when people ask questions ahead of that episode and answer the polls because it makes up all of our questions. So um, please continue to do so, guys. This has been episode 44 for us. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, that's it for this week, I think, Dr. Billy. Yeah, we got some other questions that are slightly related, but we're going to put them into their better topics. So thank you for everyone that's sending in questions. We really appreciate it, and all of them will be used. Yep, fantastic. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks, Nick. Just use your best judgment. We trust you.